Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com mailbag podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Check them out online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. Give them a buzz at 865-299-2290. You can make your appointment online if you need to. Go to their website, find out all that they have to offer, plenty of services for you for all your HVAC needs. That's Jeremy and his staff at Blue Water Climate Control. Give them a buzz. They're going to come in, do the right repair the right way the first time. That's Blue Water Climate Control. Appreciate their sponsorship of the VolQuest.com podcast with Austin Price and Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs. Plenty of questions to get to. A little bit about football as uh, the volunteers have kicked off fall camp. So we're going to dive into these football questions here, guys. And uh, we will start out of the gate. Is Lenneth Whitehead remaining at running back his choice, or does the staff like him there? Loved his high school film as a linebacker. What does it take to make that position move to the defensive side of the ball? Robin, seeing him on the practice field today, it was, it was nice to see him healthy uh, or seeing him on the practice field on Tuesday. It was nice to see uh, Wednesday, whatever day we are. That, nice to see him healthy out running around. I mean, he's put together well, um, you know, and, and moves pretty well. I, I'll be curious to see what the feedback is with him uh, on pads. But I, I thought, you know, physically he looked pretty good today. Uh, yeah, he stands out a little bit. And to, I, I just have to assume they want him running back because – you're screaming, you know, you can hear the screams for depth at linebacker right now. I mean, you, you don't have anybody. And, and, you know, Juwan Mitchell's, you know, played well at Texas, but he's not proven anything here. I mean, today they, they run out there with Salon Page, you know, getting what I, I guess they're first team reps. I mean, they're, they're the first 11 on the field. So all that suggests to me that they like it running back. But at the same time, I mean, I asked Coach Heupel this, this, the question about D Beckwith, you know, has he found a home there? I mean, that's a crowded – that is a crowded position. So Super crowded. You know, to me, yeah. I mean, if you thought, feel like and, – and you got, you know, some guys that you, you think can play. I mean, and, and, you know, small – he's got a small sample size, but, you know, he, he looks good. I think Tyon Evans, I think people are excited about him. Beckwith is super intriguing. Um, so, it, I, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher to me that they haven't moved in Hubbard, just given the discrepancy between depth at running back and depth at line. And, and talking to people over there – uh, this summer, I think that the goal was because he had finally gotten healthy and shown some stuff kind of in like, you know, the summertime where the coaches can watch a little bit, um, you know, that, hey, let's at least give him a shot there and let's see what he looks like. Because he didn't really get a shot in spring, you know, and, and so let's see what, you know, he's got um, potentially as a short yardage guy. But, yeah. I think everybody over there acknowledges if somebody has the instincts to play linebacker or another position, specifically defense, it is Leonard Whitehead more so than probably anybody else because he did it in high school and did it very, very well. Yeah. And this very well. Made. T. Hodge did not. Yeah, correct. No, good point. Um, this is a question that very well may be revisited in two weeks. Um, you know, 10 days kind of, kind of seems like the, the catchphrase for the staff over there. It's like the, you know, kind of evaluating things first 10 days and then go from there. So we'll see where Lenneth Whitehead is after the first scrimmage, whether or not he's going to be a, a ultimate factor at running back, or do they indeed take a look at him, you know, at linebacker. Um, but I, I think he wanted a chance at, line, at at running back, and I think they were curious to see what they had with him, as, as Austin mentioned. So we'll see where that one's at in two weeks. Um, all right, let's uh, let's go to this one with a bigger – uh, 20, 16 to 20 team SEC rapidly approaching in the future. Could we see preseason scrimmages versus other schools in the future? SEC hard knocks. 
with nine to 10 conference games scheduled likely coming to eliminate some of the pay for play games. Schools will still need to tune some tune up games. This will also probably try to maximize ways to sell streaming services thoughts. I don't think we're ever going to see the SEC scrimmage in another SEC team. Are you going to see, I don't think you're going to see scrimmages um, with, with other teams in the preseason. I, I just don't, I think from a cost standpoint, um, everything else involved there, I, I don't think we're going to be in a market where we're going to see a quote preseason college football game. Now, I didn't think we were going to be in a market for a 20 team SEC league and that may very well happen. Uh, but, but what do you guys think? I mean, I, I would be intrigued to watch a, a scrimmage game between two teams, but I just don't see that coming down the pike. I don't know how Rob feels. I, I don't think you scrimmage inside the league, but do you potentially work it out with a, you know, another league to, ha to have a scrimmage or is that just too much? It's not cost effective probably, is it? I mean, it, it, or, or unless you did it with like an ACC school where like, you know, Tennessee, Virginia Tech scrimmaged one another or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm just throwing out, you know, it, it just, it doesn't seem like a possibility to me to scrimmage other teams in the league. It well, they're just, not going to do other teams in the league for sure. I, I agree. I, I agree with that. I see it as no chance anyway. I mean, even though there's in, in NIL, I mean, you're still not paying these guys. You know, the schools aren't paying these guys. So you're going to make them play extra games, you know, increase the risk of injury. And as far as making your money back on streaming, coaches will be mortified that they had a preseason script scrimmage stream for anybody to watch it for opponents to get that down on tape no coach is going to want to, yeah. want to go for that yeah i just don't i don't see i just don't see that and, and we're also moving in a world where they're trying to do less contact in the preseason yeah. not more contact in the preseason um so which is uh, amazing because i mean you know i was talking to a, a former player who played in the early 90s and and you know the, i guess you know just didn't keep up with it much and they're like so how many days of two days do they have now? Like, they don't do two days. They don't do two days in years. So I mean, like that's you know, like I'm like they're cutting down on that because football's such a quote dangerous sport. So I mean, like yeah, I mean, I I would say you're going the exact opposite direction. You know, scrimmages, you know, to me are almost becoming a thing of, you know, I won't say the past, but I think you're just going to see them in such limitation going forward. I mean, even at the NFL level, right down to the high school level, look, I mean, basically they've done away with if spring scrimmages, right? Hubs in high school. They, they, did, do, they, they did this year. Now they've said that. Hasn't there been of, talk of, of doing, doing away with it permanently though. There had been some talk of that. They, they said this year was because of COVID was the reason they didn't do it. But I, I think that opens the door yeah. to not have those moving forward is what I think is ultimately going to end up happening there. But um, you're, I mean, again, everybody's getting away from the, the amount of contact that you take in the preseason. So I, I don't see any scrimmage games covering. Um, one, one other follow-up question on SEC expansion. How does expansion affect Tennessee football's program in terms of a rebuild? I don't know. I, I personally think that if they go with the pods, Brent, I don't know, maybe Rob feels the same way. I personally think if they go with the pods, that helps Tennessee. Now, if they I do big, big divisions – and then I think that 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 really sets Tennessee back. But if they do pods and you've got a five-team pod, even if you've got some really good teams in there, you know, I think that that really can can change things and help Tennessee, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. You know, but with, with that point of it, but overall, I mean, I don't think it affects Tennessee's rebuild. I mean, you're already competing against Alabama, Georgia, Florida. I mean, it's not going to get any tougher than that, no matter who you bring in. I mean, you're already competing against Clemson on the recruiting trail every year so to me the landscape for Tennessee's path back to um, 
you know, being relevant has not changed much no matter what the SEC looks like. Yeah, and I mean, if if you did the big divisions, the one thing I would say, for example, um, if you moved an Alabama into this division, it wouldn't be, quote, good for Tennessee, but it levels the playing field a little bit because everybody in this division would have to play Alabama, whereas they don't right now, and Tennessee does. So I, I think Tennessee's at a disadvantage in the Eastern Division right now because they have to play Alabama every year. Uh, we've talked about player. we've talked about that on, this on the podcast before. But if if you and I think they're I think everything says they're going pods so that they can easier for further expansion. But and more he, money and more money. I mean, don't you think more money? I mean, the, the thought sure. of having that that SEC playoff before the college football playoff. I mean, to me, that's enticing. Well, I mean, the SEC football Final Four. Yeah. I mean, let's let's be real honest. I mean, that that's going to draw, and this is all about TV money, and it's all about making more money. So that's why I think they're ultimately going to end up going that way. But if you did do the division stuff and moved Alabama in this in the Eastern Division, I think that levels the playing field. Now it, it makes it harder for everybody in the East, but at least it makes it for everybody compared to what Tennessee's had to go through um, with, with you know without with with having to play. Alabama and other schools in the division have not having to play Alabama year in and year out. And this is this is kind of going off on a tangent, but so there's 16 now. Say they add some ACC blood, Clemson, Florida State, whoever. Do you decentralize the you know the Final Four championship game? Is it instead of being in Mercedes Benz every year? Is it is it in Jerry World some years? Is it in Charlotte some years? Is it you know? In, is Does it, it move around? Jacksonville, Tampa. I mean, you you do open it up New Orleans. New Orleans. You open it up for more school, for more. I agree with this. Well, I mean, you know, you could. Um, I, I think there would be an unbelievable bidding war for for that deal, um, for for that championship game. I don't know. I, I mean, I think Mercedes Benz. I think the Atlanta's got it locked up for a good period of time. I think the question is those semifinal games. Are you going to do those at the higher seeds home field? You know, which is what the talk has been. So the, the higher seed, you know, however you come up with that in your pod would host that game there, which would be obviously good ticket sales, uh, but it would not be the 50-50 neutral field, but a higher seed should get an advantage. So, you know, maybe they do it that way. But but I, I'm, with, I'm with you guys both. The pods means more money, and this is all about money when it's said and done. You could, you could play the West, the West Final Four, the highest seed in the West would host in- – in the Jerry, Jerry Dome, high seed in the East, the host of the Nissan Stadium. Yeah. And then you go to Atlanta. Yep, you could. I mean, there's a vert. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it and a lot of ways to make money. And that's what it's ultimately all about. All right. Move, moving on here. In your opinion, who could be the most improved position group other than quarterbacks? That's the obvious group. So let's take them out of the equation. Aside from quarterbacks, who do you see as the most improved position group? Who do you think will be the most improved position group on this team? I'm going to go defensive line. I, I I know there's been some change. I I just think Rodney's going to coach him up. I think the kids are going to have a buy-in with him. And, uh, you know, I mean, is it drastic improvement? Maybe not. But I, I think that there's going to be really, really, really good improvement. I'm just not sure how deep they are at other positions to see that kind of jump. Rob, you any different there? I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I would, I would kind of qualify this by saying, based off the way – you know, 2020 ended and what I thought the defensive line was going to look like say back in March or April I've got a much higher opinion of what it's going to look like now you know with, with the, the transfer additions with you know what just the buzz like Austin's talking about with Rodney Garner yeah I'm going to go I'm going to go secondary 
Um, but and, and I'm going to go because, A, I, I think Willie Martinez is a good coach. Um, I, you know, he's coached against fast-paced offenses. I, I think this defense is somewhat going to be – is going to be simpler, which is going to help that group back there. I like Brandon Turnage. If they can get him mentally dialed in, I think athletically he's really going to push in the secondary. I think they've got some more depth there. If they can find a nickel guy, I think the secondary is going to play a lot better than they played a year ago. They didn't get their hands on many balls a year ago. They weren't very good. So I'm going to go secondary. It's, it's going You're, to be my pick. You you pick secondary. What are your thoughts on – I mean, let's face it, Alante, great kid, I think has all-world potential. But mentally sometimes – he gets down on himself. I'm not sure that Brandon Turnage knows how to get down on himself. That kid oozes confidence. Um, you, do, do you think that helps him coming in here? Because, I mean, he's a he, he believes athletically he's just as good, if not better, than anybody in there. You're talking – believe that, that this – that Turnage helps – helps Alante or helps – Well, what, I'm what saying, like, help, help the confidence that Turnage has helps him in battling for a spot against Alante or Warren Burrell. I mean, Warren Burrell – you know, played a little bit with, with Jeremy and them, but then kind of faded off. Same thing with Alante. He would be hit and miss. You know, Turner's a pretty confident kid. Do you think that helps him when he's battling these guys, even though they're kind of the guys that have been here? Oh, I don't – I mean, you know, Turner's is coming from a program where, you know, the, the the talent level in the secondary he went against every day, I'm sure he sized it up today and went, hey, I got I got absolute shot to win this job. To, to win a job, to beat out Patrick Sertain last year, yeah. and now, yeah, I mean, no offense to the guys here, but I mean, his competition level for playing time at Alabama was, was different. I, I think Alante's a guy who better not have a bad fall camp and, and needs to stay healthy. I, I think Alante's a talent. I think Alante is, is a solid player. Um, I think he needs to be a more consistent player, and I think there's competition there. Uh, that that position, the corner position, to me is as different from a competition standpoint this fall compared to the spring as any position out there. And I say that because linebacker had no depth. Okay. So those guys who transferred in, you know, I think we all believe Mitchell's, you know, going to be in the starting lineup from the day he said, Hey, I'm coming to Tennessee. Not the case in the secondary at corner. You got Burrell, you got Taylor, you know, Kenneth George has played some, and then you bring in two sec guys to come in and compete with those guys. Um, and, and so I, I think that the competition, I don't think Alante and Warren Burrell were getting pushed a ton in the spring. I think starting to starting on Wednesday, they started getting pushed. So I think the competition there is going to be good for all of them. It's going to help that group be better. And that's, that's why I picked Willie Martinez's group, but I don't disagree that the defensive line will be a better coached unit. I, I think they'll play better. Their effort will be better. But I'm curious to see what this secondary looks like in terms of the jump they make from last year to this year. Speaking of secondary, this question comes in. Why has Nico Slaughter gone from starting his first college game to not even being mentioned when discussing an unproven DB room? I get that the first game wasn't great versus Shai Smith, but it seems like he has some talent. And do you guys have any information on how Trey Smith and Palmer are doing so far in camp? Final question from him. Bigger mistake, UT firing Fulmer or not hiring Gary Patterson. Let's go to Slaughter. I don't know what happened. I don't know why he disappeared and didn't play anymore. Um, that that one's a head-scratcher to me. He was mentioned um, by, by Banks, Rob, when he addressed the media on Tuesday. He was the guy that was mentioned in terms of being in the competition there. 
it's a guy that Willie Martinez liked coming out of high school and recruited some. So I think this is a new lease on life for Danico Slaughter. I think he's got a chance to win the nickel job. I'm not saying he will, but I think he's definitely going to be in the mix there. He'll play. I, I, I feel confident saying that he will, he will play. He'll be a, and not just, you know, mop up duty. He'll be a part of, part of the plan and he'll get action. Cause I mean, I guess, you know, again, we just saw one day as we're taping this and Theo Jackson was the first nickel that ran out on the field in 11 on 11 stuff. I would, I would hazard a guess. He probably does not have that position locked down. No, I mean, I, I think, again, there's some competition there. As for Trey Smith and Josh Palmer, I've not heard much on Palmer. Smith's made headlines, you know, and, and his, his, videos, his video work has popped up on social media. He's drawn some pretty rave reviews from the, the Chiefs media contingent that covers practice and, and has drawn some praise from the coaching staff there. Not a surprise. Everybody's calling him early on, you know, a great steal for the Chiefs, which I think we all who know Trey believe that that was going to be the case if he stayed healthy. Well, and, able, and he's able to take advantage, Rob, of the injury to um, the chief starting guard, and he's been able to slide right in there and show what he's made of. He's going to – I mean, he, like I said, it's not a surprise, just like what Hubbard said. It, it, you know, we're not the smartest people in the room. Everybody who followed, you know, the draft and college football knew that if Trey could stay on the field and stay healthy, the Chiefs got an, just an enormous steal. I mean, enormous. Well, and it sounds like he's not missing practice days, you know, that his – his practice routine at this point is practice every day. He, he's not on the limitations that he's been the last couple of years, which is great for him. So hopefully that can continue. And if that's the case, I think you'll see Trey Smith uh, on Sundays this fall, or at least on that roster and, yeah. um, and, he, and the chance for a long time in the league. I was going to say, if he, if he can stay healthy, if they figured out a regimen, he'll play a decade. Uh, bigger mistake firing Fulmer or not hiring Gary Patterson. Who knows? I mean, you, know, you can't go back and look. I mean, I, I think what does this program look like if Fulmer gets another year, chance to fix some things, and, and you got Taj Boyd and, and some of those guys? I, you know, I, I don't know. Would Gary Patterson have been the right fit here? I don't know. He's never left TCU, so I, I don't know what he would have been like somewhere else. You know, the coverage that he has and the way he's covered out there is very different than how life is in the SEC. Um, so, you know, obviously they didn't hire the right people when they fired Philip and they, and they're still trying to find the right person. That's the bottom line there. Um, so it's not about, sometimes it's not who you fire. It's who you hire to replace that person. And Tennessee's not found the, the right one. Um, who has unexpectedly impressed you the first day of camp? Did anybody do that? And is there any feedback on Omari Thomas? Omari Thomas in the number 21 was my biggest – one of my biggest surprises from the practice more, field. More than Bumpus in 11? Yeah, because the 21 did not look like it was – it looked like it was Heath Shuler's 21 jersey. It did not oh. look like it was a jersey to, designed to fit – I think it was – yeah, 21 to fit Omari I, Thomas. Did you, think it, did you think it was a proper fitting jersey, Rob Lewis? I, it didn't really jump out at me as being a. You're saying you, it was Heath Shuler's jersey. Yeah, it's it was. It I, was don't, I don't. I didn't get that much of an impression. It was a Pacific Bell jersey. <laughs> no, it was a Schmedium, is what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> it's what it looked like. So that one, I wouldn't expect in that number change there. Um, you know, w one day at camp, uh, Rob. It's it, it's hard to say somebody has impressed. Oh. I mean. We knew, I mean, we saw Joe Milton on Tuesday. We knew he was big. Um, I'll say this I thought Jimmy Callaway physically 
look different. It looks like he's had a really good summer from a physical standpoint in terms of putting on some muscle mass and, and some weight. That 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 was a guy when he walked by or he ran by, he went, oh, he looks a lot different than he did the last time I saw him. And I would throw in the same in the same way, saying, you know, we've not seen him play football yet, but the guy looked different was Byron Young. He he kind of jumped out to me. Yeah. As as being not just physically impressive, but you can, I mean, and we saw this in the spring, but he's, he's a quick twitch guy. I mean, he can, if he gets the technique down and, you know, really kind of works on his craft and masters it, he, he's going to be a guy that I think can help to see whether it's this year or down the road, he's got, he's got some tools. And, and, and Austin, I think for Omari Thomas, I think the biggest question is, can he play quicker? Can he be quicker off the ball? Um, you know, at that position and, and be a, you know, more of a playmaker type deal there. And, and that's, I think that's something that he was tasked with this summer was trying to get more explosive and, and get more quickness as a defensive lineman. Well, the good news, the good news for Big O is the fact that, you know, he's got some time. He's still young. He had, I mean, last year was a COVID year. And if it don't work out on the defensive line, he's got pro bowl guard or tackle written all over him. I mean, you know, he he just has options, and I think he's going to get better under Rodney Garner, and I expect him to to have a really good solid. Uh, you know, you know, I'm not going to say he's you know going to be a, a, a staple as far as like making big time plays, but I think he's going to be a really solid contributor this year, but just still a young player on this football team. All right, with all the quarterbacks having two to four years of eligibility left, is there a worry that more than one can transfer out when they don't win the starting job? Does that put the pressure on potentially recruiting one more quarterback for next year's quarterback room? I don't see any way you get a second quarterback in this class. I, I think I think you got you got Jackson, and I think everybody in the country knows who Jackson is. And I just don't think you live in a world where you sign two high-profile quarterbacks. In quarterback recruiting, it's late in the game. Yeah, late. Yes, <laughs> late. You're, you're late for next year's class at this point, not this year's class. You're late for late for next year's class. Because uh, guys go off the board that early. Could could more than one guy transfer out of the room? Absolutely, that's possible in the world we live in. I, I think that's just that's just part of it. I, I think it's a rarity that Tennessee's sitting there with four scholarship quarterbacks. I, I just don't think that you see that around the country a whole lot. I, I think that's hard to do. Um, so you I know. mean, look, any anytime somebody's had a plethora of quarterbacks in their room in the last five six years, it lasts about five minutes. Because whoever doesn't win the job doesn't stick around. Like that, you know, Jacob Eason didn't stick around. Justin Fields didn't stick around. I mean, that that that's just how it is. I mean, like, that's how college football has become anyways at every position. But specifically quarterback, because there's only one that can play. Yep. So, yep. like, the fact that none of these guys are leaving, I mean, to me, that's a head scratcher. Like, what, what are they thinking? Like, I mean <laughs> – I mean, again, yeah, I just don't understand some of the logic. I get, you know, I give it the old college try and fall camp. But if you're not the guy and an underclassman's ahead of you, you better be moving on. How many uh, starting positions are truly up for grabs? Does three on offense and two on defense sound right? One O-line, third wide receiver, quarterback, one DB, linebacker. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think – I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you're trying to figure out what you have with some transfers coming in. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do in the secondary. I, I don't think this, the nickel position, we know. I think there's competition at corner. Um, I, I think they're probably – you will see McCullough and Flowers as, you, as your top two safeties. Um, you know, on the offensive line, 
you know. I think there's two spots there, Brent. I think there's a, a, a guard up for up for grabs and a tackle spot up for grabs, and 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 then it and then a receiver. I don't think it really matters the number three receiver. They're going to play a ton of guys. Like it's not like the old days where you're going to have you know two guys, three guys. They're going to play a bunch of these guys, and so I, I I think that's a bit of a misnomer. You know what I mean? Like that number three position up for grabs. I mean, and I think it's I think who starts on the defensive line in today's game is meaningless. Yeah, play so many. Yeah, I mean, you can have nine guys if, if, if they're quality play, you know, similar snaps. I'm not as I think on offensive line. I mean, I think Carvin is the heavy favorite to start, but outside of the Maze boys, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty fluid. Again, I you know I, I favor Carvin to to win that one guard job, but outside of the Maze guys, I, I think you can see some movement. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could see two spots there for sure. You know, what depending on what happens at tackle. Where does Cade fit in best? You know, does, does Spragans put himself in a position? I mean, there's just a lot of K-Ron Calvert. There's a lot of flexibility there, and I think there's a, some competition there to try to figure out who your top five are. Um, so I, I'm with you guys. I, I think there's probably more competition there than some people think. Um, AP, what can you tell us about the UK-Kentucky uh, decommitment? Caldwell, is he top of the want list at uh, DB for Tennessee? He's the top of the one list at safety. I mean, I think that's what he is, is a safety um, at, at the next level. But, I mean, maybe he could play corner. I mean, let's face it, guys. I mean, football changes every day. Nigel Warrior was a safety here. He's making waves as a, as a corner um, and, and run some nickel in the NFL. So, I mean, like, you know, it, it, I guess, you know, depending on who your defensive coach is, what he wants out of the guys, um, you know, might be, you know, determine, you know, what you are. Um, but yeah, he's he's right there. I mean, Tennessee would really like to land Caldwell, Jeremiah Caldwell. He's a really good looking kid. We saw him at camp this summer, and uh, you know he's big, and and I think that's what the staff likes about him. I know Golish was hesitant to commit to an answer yesterday, but from your point of view, can you identify which quarterback has the most accuracy, who has the strongest arm? Also, is there any indication of the quarterback's comfort level so far? One day, I don't know about their comfort level, strongest arm, Rob. Not close. Joe Milton. Not, not a debate, Joe Milton there. Uh, and so not the most accurate art. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I thought those receivers overall, or the quarterbacks overall, were, were pretty solid for, for day one. I mean, it looked like they had thrown with the receivers. It wasn't – I don't think you're going to get the, well, it's going to take us a few days to get our chemistry down. I mean, I think they've got some chemistry there. Uh, but, but I think all those guys have to tighten up some mechanical things. And, sure. and I, think, I think Joe Milton is a guy – just in looking at him in, in, in eight periods of practice, which was about 40 minutes, looked like a guy who's probably spent his life living off of a strong arm. And, and so and mechanically – And some serious athleticism. Right. But, but in terms of mechanical footwork and delivering the ball and some of that stuff, that, you know, that, those things are – he's got to be refined a little bit in those areas. I thought, I thought Hooker was the most accurate overall, but that was also on short and intermediate stuff. And – the prettiest ball I saw thrown all day was by Harrison Bailey. It wasn't close. It was uh, it was to Jimmy Callaway, probably forty yard for a touchdown. But caveat: walk on walk on defensive back. So, you, yes, the ball was you know was on time. It was perfectly placed. But you know, the receiver was also two yards past the guy that was defended. And it was also day one. So we'll see where things are in a few days after that. Unfair, I know, because Hypo hasn't coached a game at UT. But give me a couple of reasons to be optimistic that Heupel can be a better coach than Dooley, Butch, and Pruitt. I know you have the benefit of hindsight with prior coaches, but what makes you more optimistic about Heupel after six-plus months? 
here's here's my thing about Josh Heupel, and, and I don't know if he's going to win or he's not going to win. I have no idea. Okay, I think Josh Heupel has a plan. He has his own unique style of football offensively. He has experience as a head coach, and he has experience at the Power Five level, including the SEC, as a coordinator running one side of the ball. Okay. So, so some of those things, some of those other guys didn't have. Now, can he recruit well enough here? I, I don't know. Can he make hard decisions? Can, is, he, is he tough enough for this league, but which can chew you up and spit you out? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't – but those are some things about Heupel that I think are pros – are in the pro column for him as he gets started here, in my opinion. I'll let you guys go from there. I, would just, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, and I would toss in his experience as a player at Oklahoma. Not that I think that influence is what he, his ability as a head coach, but at a program like that, the scrutiny he faced as the face of that program, as a quarterback, I think, I think that shows up in how he handles the media now. And how, I mean, he's been, he's been in front of cameras, you know, at, in, in huge football games, college game day, or whatever, since he was a 21, 22-year-old kid. I think that shows up in how he goes about his business now and how comfortable he is in his skin now. And like you said, he's been a head coach. You know, Jeremy was not a head coach. Butch was a head coach, but at a level, but had not had the success. Or he had success. But I think Josh had some big time success. I mean, yeah, it was at Central Florida, but the top five national offenses and scoring and, and total offense three years in a row. I mean, I don't, that's not a fluke. I mean, you mentioned he's got a unique system that he believes in. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to come in here and win, you know, 10 games in the first couple of years, but I, I think the, I, I'm pretty confident the guy's going to do well. Last question here with no caveat, with the caveat of no pads and limited viewing to this point, do you get, uh, do you at all get an impression that Jeremy Banks has developed more of a feel for the position and has gone from just being an athlete to try to being a linebacker? Also, so far, have y'all gotten more viewing periods the same or less compared to years past? Heupel seems much more open to the media as shown by the media day interviews, which were a breath of fresh air. Um, Austin, I, I like you, you mentioned this back in the summer. We ran into him. Jeremy Banks seems to be in a much better place. Physically, I thought he looked good running around in day one. Um, we'll see where he's at. I think this defense is going to fit him a little better because I think it's got some simplicity to it compared to the previous defense. I just, I like where Jeremy Banks is right now. It just, you know, the way he kind of carries himself. And, and I think you felt that way this summer after visiting with him, did you? Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, he, we, we just had a long talk. I mean, out on the, out on the camp field and, you know, he, he, you know, just, he just had a real peace about him. Um, and he talked to me about, you know, um, you know, getting closer with his faith and, you know, I, he said, he said things that like, it, you can't just like make that stuff up. Like, I mean, like, it, cause he was quoting scripture and that type of thing. Now, can he still make mistakes? Sure he can, but he just seems like a much more centered kid right now. And one that, you know, understands, Hey, if I, you know, if something happens again, I'd be in a really tough spot to try to continue this. So I've got to, you know, kind of get my stuff in order. And if he makes it, he needs to give Jeremy Pruitt a lot of credit because Jeremy Pruitt heavily went to bat for him. Yeah, he did. a ton of time 
trying to help him mature because he believed in him and, and did not want to give up on him. In terms of viewing periods, yes, we got more day one. I think we'll get more in day two. We'll see what happens after that. But clearly, as you mentioned previously, Rob, Josh Heupel's comfortable with the media and he's comfortable letting the media have some insight to his program. He's not going to give you secrets on schematics and all those things, but he's okay with peeling the curtain back and let you see a little bit and let you and talk like, to other people. I'd like to your question today. I mean, he, I mean, he joked in a way that I mean, Butch or Jerry Dooley might have, he'd been the right move that day, but like he, he gets done with his opening comments. He's getting ready to take questions. And he's like, Oh, by the way, we haven't named a starting quarterback yet. You know, whereas Jeremy would have ignored the subject entirely. Like we don't have a quarterback. Yeah, we're, we're, everybody's repping. Well, you know, we'll figure that out game week. You know, Butch would have, I don't know what Butch would have said, but it would have been ludicrous, but he's just comfortable. I mean, he doesn't get defensive at all. I mean, he got asked what some could have perceived as a gotcha question yesterday about Aaron Beasley being back on the team. He didn't bristle at all. You know, he just he, – he took it and, and just batted, batted it back across the net. Like, not, not, I'm not offended. You, had, you probably needed to ask that question. Here's where we are with it. I just – just comfortable. Just – there's just a really good vibe. I mean, I don't want to – AP's mentioned it before. I don't want to act like people over there holding hands around the campfire singing Kumbaya. But it's just – kids just seem so much more relaxed and, and comfortable this year. And I guess we'll see if that translates into production on the field. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that ultimately like, you know, uh, there, there's a value in better team chemistry. There's a value in better staff chemistry. What, I, what is the value of that? I don't know, but there's a value in it. Is it, is it winning a quarter? Is it winning a game? I, I, I don't, is it scoring a touchdown? I just think at the end of the day, like, you know, the, the chemistry, all around, um, you know, is so much better, you know, that, that there's a value in that. Um, now, at the end of the day, as Brent said, you know, everything can't be about, you know, fun and playing dodgeball and all that stuff, but all that, but that stuff does matter too. So like, it, it, it's kind of something like you can't be too into that, but you can't ignore it either. Yep. And how it translates on the field, we'll find out because we go back to the practice field later today to see more of the volunteers. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast for Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.